title of my message today is called God's Home. God's Home. How many of you like to travel? How many of you say, I like to travel? How many of you like to travel, but after you're there for a little while, you start to miss home? Come on, there ain't no bed like your bed. When you're at home, you fuss about your bed. That's a rotten mattress. I need a new mattress. But you go sleep in a hotel, and you're like, I miss my mattress. Or your pillow, right? Come on, how many of you got a pillow you've been having for years, and you refuse to give it up? It's got more of your DNA on that pillow than you have in your body. <laughs> we know it's gross. That's why we put two covers on it. Come on. <laughs> but we all love to travel, but we all love to come home. Why? Because home is a special place, right? Home is just home. It's where you're comfortable at. It's where you can be yourself. It's where you can be the full you. It's where you can just honestly relax. If you have hair, you can let it down. Come on, somebody, right? And, and you can just enjoy being at home. God is the same way because the Bible says that we've been made in his image and according to his likeness, God loves loves to be home too. God loves to be home inside of us. God makes his home inside of every one of us. And he loves to be home. And that's what we're going to talk about today. God wants to make his home in you. And one of the marks of an activated church is the presence of God. How do you know if a church is activated? How do you know if a church is alive? How do you know if a church is, 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 is like just plugged into the power source? It's if the presence of God is there. Amen? The presence of God is here this morning. If you don't sense that, you need to put your hand on your chest, make sure your heart's pumping. Because the presence of God is here this morning. An activated church is marked by the presence of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says this, We are the temple of the living God, just as God has said, I will make my home in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Come on, God wants to be at home inside of every one of us. God wants to take, he wants to take like ownership inside of your life, not to wreck it and ruin it, although sometimes it needs to be wrecked and ruined. Come on, somebody. But he, he wants to make home inside of us. God's presence doesn't always come down on a building. It comes down on a church, a people group. God wants to make his home in you. You know what that really means? That really means that God wants to be known by you, and he wants, you to, and he wants to know you. God wants to have an intimate relationship with you, with every one of us. No matter your age, your hair color, the numbers of hairs on your head, it doesn't matter. He wants to be in a relationship with us. So I want to show you what it looks like when God is at home in his church. We've been in the, in the book of Acts for the last couple of weeks, and we've talked about access, how we have uh, access to God. We've talked about how uh, we've got his presence, and, and we've got a power source, and that we, we can, we've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us and on us, and how that activated the first church, and it was powerful things that happened. And then last week, we talked about how God loves his church and how we are that church. It's not a building. It's not even a sign in the front. It's people. Right? We're, we're God's church, his body. And so we've, we've been covering the book of Acts some, and, and in chapter 2 to chapter 4, it's been like a party. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells them to go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes just like Jesus promised. And he, he, he comes and he brings power into their lives. The Bible says they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. 
is, was it, is what it says. But very specifically, they, they begin to literally speak in other languages. Because the Bible goes on to say that the people, there was a big festival, a lot of people from different nations and tribes were there with different dialects, and they could understand what, what the apostles were praying through tongues. Pretty crazy. And then, and then Peter stands up after just being restored from being backslidden. Peter stands up, preaches the first message to the first church. Over 3,000 people are saved and added to the church. And then the Bible says, and we talked about this, the Bible says how they created this community with believers where they were meeting each other's needs. Generosity sprung up in this community. People were selling things and giving to each other. Nobody had lack. Nobody was missing anything. It was just an incredible community. And it was like a party. Come on, somebody. I mean, it's like God was adding people to the church every day, right? You know, oh, so-and-so's part of the church now. Oh, it's a big party. Chapter 2 to chapter 4. But now all of a sudden, here comes chapter 5. And you got to see this today because this is, this is a very valuable part of Christianity that I think today we sometimes miss. Acts chapter 5, watch this. It's been a party. Say it's been a party. It's been good. Until Acts chapter 5 comes. Acts chapter 5, everybody was selling stuff and bringing it to the apostles to, to give to one another so that nobody was lacking anything. And then they share a story of, of a couple. And it says this, it says, but there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife, Sapphira, Sapphira, Fira, Fira, whatever, sold some property. So him and his wife sold some property. He, he brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell. As you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Say Shazam. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a, in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of considering or conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Now, you might be like, where's Pastor going to go with this story? I mean, it's like, it's like he's going to all of a sudden just, just like scare the H-E double hockey sticks out of us. I mean, like, what, what is he going to like? Is he going to tell us that God's like mean now? I mean, what, what is, what, where are you going with this, Pastor? God is God, and God has a character, and God has a nature, and just because we love one side of his character and his nature, and we don't like the other side, doesn't mean that that's only who he is. 
come on, he's still completely God. He's still the, the same God that was in the Old Testament. He's still the same God in the New Testament. What's funny is that they're throwing down, they're having a party, people are coming to Christ, folks are getting saved, incredible things are happening, the church is getting built, but then all of a sudden God's presence is in this thing like never before, and some things start to change, and some things start to happen, and that's what I want to talk about today. Because you see, when God shows up, things change. When God's presence is in the place, things change. Can you imagine the Google reviews for that church? <laughs> you don't give fully, you die. <laughs> it wasn't that. It was that they lied. It's not a money issue. Don't, don't hear it the wrong way. It's a heart issue. And by the way, this is not the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. Because you got some people with strange doctrine that say, oh, that's the God of the Old Testament. The God of the New Testament doesn't do that. Uh, hello, this is the book of Acts. This is the first church. This is New Testament. So when the presence of God is in his church, there's a couple of things that take place. And I want to share those with you this morning. I'm just going to give you three of them. The first one is supernatural order. God's a God of order. He's a God who has supernatural order. If you read your Bible from front to back and you study it with any little bit of study, you'll realize that God likes things to go a certain way. How many of you would agree with that? God loves for things to go a certain way. He's God. He's got the plan. He knows how the plan works out. He sees the end from the beginning and he knows what needs to happen next. So he's got a plan. Why is he like that? Because he's God and you're not. And the minute we think we got a better plan is the minute we become full of pride and say that our way is better than God's way. So number one, when God shows up, there's supernatural order. We all have an amazing, loving, great God, but we also have a righteous, holy God. It's kind of like your kids. Your kids might love the babysitter because the babysitter tatas them and plays with them and never fusses them, and the babysitter is the greatest person on the planet. But daddy always comes home. And when daddy comes home, mama's done been telling, wait till your daddy comes home. You ever heard that? Why? Because daddy carries with him a bit of authority, right? God carries the authority. And when you look in the Old Testament, a lot of this reminds me, this story reminds me of, Nate, of Nadab and, and, and Abihu, uh, sons of Aaron's sons. They, they, they mixed the incense wrong. Think about this. They mixed the incense wrong and fire came down and killed them. That'd be like forgetting to put something in the cake mix. Come on, somebody. <laughs> the men from Israel started sleeping with the women from Moab and a plague broke out and thousands of them died. Miriam and Aaron talked bad about their brother Moses, and Miriam broke out with leprosy. You going to keep gossiping? <laughs> Korah talked bad about Moses, and the ground opened up and swallowed him. Might be time to shut your mouth. <laughs> Just saying. When God's in the house, there's supernatural order. Some of you might be thinking, well, but God's the God of love. And, and you're 100% right. God is the God of love. There's one thing that you need to understand for sure is that God loves us and he truly cares for us. And just because he corrects us doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. 
And just because something goes bad in your life or something goes sideways in your life doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Amen? He loves us no matter what. So yes, God is a God of love, but in the context of that love comes provision, protection, and correction. Amen? But we just like the good parts. Come on, somebody. Right? We just like the good parts. Lord, bring me some provision and some protection. Oh, yeah, some pleasure, some peace. I couldn't find anything else to go with peace, so I'm going to stop. But Romans 11.22 says this. Make sure that you stay alert of these qualities of, of gentle kindness and ruthless severity that exist side by side in God. Did you hear that verse? You need to make sure that you stay alert of these qualities, gentle kindness and ruthless severity that exist side by side in God. How many of you know we're, we're human, right? And, and, and we tend to be extremists at times. How many of you can, can swing from one extreme to the other? I mean, you're like, you, you're thinking this is the right way and you're going at 100 miles an hour. Somebody says, nope, that's not the right way. So then you go the other way at 110 miles an hour just because you feel bad because you made a mistake. Extremes, right? We're people of extremes. Some of us can get so fixated with that God loves us that that's all we want to hear and that's all we want to know. But then there's others of us that get so fixated with that God's a God of judgment. He's going to bring wrath and fire. And that's all you know. And so we can be extremists. Can it, can it, can it just possibly be that God is both and He's completely the God of love, and he's also the com completely the God of ruthless severity. Is it possible? I think it is. We can get things out of balance. Because you see, if God is with you, it's no longer business as usual. This is what we've, we've got to understand. Is that when God shows up in your life, it is no longer business as usual. In fact, you will struggle as long as you try to keep business as usual and follow God. You will be frustrated as a Christian as long as you try to do the things that you've always done and be in a relationship with a God who's calling you up out of the grave. Things have to die. Right? I mean, Jesus was very clear when he talked about the vines and the, and the pruning and all those things. He said, I'm going to cut some things off you that are going to go into the fire because that needs to die so that you can produce new fruit. In other words, you can't keep doing business as usual. You got to change your game. You got to do something different. You got to let, like the Bible says in Galatians, you got to let the Holy Spirit produce these kinds of fruit in your life. And then the reason he says to let it, which means, which simply means this, stop resisting the Holy Spirit from doing things in your life you need to let him by allowing him to do it by making room for him to do it right that requires us to not do business as usual when I decided to follow Jesus I decided also to quit following other people when I decided to follow Jesus I also decided to not go to places I used to go to say things I used to say do things I used to do watch things I used to watch Right? I decided to leave the old life, which was called dead, and take on this new life, which is called spiritual life, and, and, and live it to its fullest. So I had to leave something behind. It couldn't be business as usual. In verse 11 of chapter 5, and we're going to be in chapter 5 
the whole message today. Verse 11 says that great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. The Bible says when we fear God, that's the beginning of wisdom. Like you start to get wise when you start to fear God. Fearing God is a good thing. Amen? So let's talk about your own holiness today. If God was in your house, would he tolerate what you're doing right now? Would he tolerate what you're watching? Would he tolerate what you say? Would he tolerate what you're doing? If God was in your house, listen, just because you're in your house doesn't mean that God doesn't know. (laughs) It doesn't mean that somebody's not keeping record in heaven. Just because it's at night and it's in the dark doesn't mean that God can't see it. Holla, he created the dark. Are you honoring God in private like you're honoring God in public? It's it's called personal holiness. It's called being a holy servant or holy child of God. You see, the thing about the chapter 5 of the book of Acts is that it, it, it forces me to deal with this side of God. It forces me to deal with this characteristic of God. It forces me to go, man, God is still like that. It's not just Old Testament and that stopped. That means that God does still care what I do. He does still care where I go. He does still care what I look at and what I say and what comes out of my heart. God still cares about those things. Amen? That, that'll keep you from cussing. That'll keep you from, from swearing. That'll keep you from doing a lot of things when you understand that God still has that characteristic. He still has that nature. Amen? Treating your spouse and your kids harshly. Turning to porn or drinking to cope with stress. It's your holiness. It's your gift back to God. It's your holiness. Come on, somebody. We don't talk a lot about holiness anymore. You know why? Because holiness don't fill the church up. (laughs) Nobody wants to hear about some holiness, but you're missing out. You're missing out from a holy life that God wants you to live. You're missing out on the pleasures of being holy and the joy of being holy. Here's a statement you might want to write down. I want the people who know me the best to admire me the most. I want the people that know me the best to be the ones that admire me the most. My old business partner, his wife used to give him a hard time because he, he, was, he was a salesman for years. And you know how salesmen are. They're real sweet on the phone, right? Come on, salesmen. Uh, they're real sweet on the phone. So they answer the phone like, hey, how you doing? You know, things going good today, man. It's good to hear from you. Sweet, awesome. Yeah, we'll make that happen. And, and, and I'll never forget one day she just called him out. She's like, why are you not that sweet to me on the phone? I was like, dang, bro, I'm getting out the truck. Because <laughs> he, he would talk one way, but then when the phone would ring, he'd go, Hello? Hello? You see, I want the people that know me. Who knows me the best? My wife and my kids know me the best. I want the people that know me the best to admire me the most. I don't want my kids growing up with a fake daddy. He's one way in public and another way at home. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I got my bad days. I've had a few of them lately. <laughs> my mother-in-law just went, mm-hmm. <laughs> She'd been here all weekend. <laughs> it ain't been a good weekend. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I don't want them to admire my perfection because I won't have perfection, but I do want them to admire me. Amen? So ask yourself this question. If what I'm about to do or say was made public, would God be honored? Is what I'm about to post on social media, is it going to honor God? You see, we got to be careful that we don't live according to the world's standard, but that we live above that according to God's standard. You see, here's the problem with Christianity is that we're all humans, right? We're Christians, but we're humans. We're a work in progress. So if we're not careful, we'll lower our standards because another Christian does it. And we say, well, that Christian can do it, then I can do it. And I'm going to lower my standard because they're a Christian. They say hallelujah. And so because they say hallelujah, I can act like they act when they're not at church. And what you've done is you started living according to other people's standards instead of living according to God's standards when God's called you to rise above those standards and to be a leader and an example to the people around you. Amen? That's why Paul said if, if, if it's something that's going to make somebody stumble, I'm not going to do it. He was talking about eating meat. That's a hard challenge. Come on, somebody. I can't tell you the last time I wanted to be a vegetarian for someone. It's just easier to go get a new friend, right? I hang out with meat eaters. <laughs> so when God shows up, there's supernatural order. God has this way of putting things in order, and you ought to be grateful for that, right? The second thing that happens when God shows up is there's supernatural miracles. <clears throat> supernatural miracles, like unexplainable kind of miracles, Verse 15 to 16 says this, as a result, this is right after the, uh, Ananias and Sapphira die from lying to the Holy Spirit. Right after that, God sets the house in order. Great fear comes over the church. Watch what happens. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits. Watch this. And they were all healed. All healed. I go, why does the Bible say they were all healed? And why is it that some days we're not all healed? <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. But as a result of God setting spiritual order in the place, then came these miracles. I mean, think about it. It was so powerful that they would just put people on the streets so that when Peter would look at the shadow right there, you see the shadow? Peter would walk by and boom, they were healed. You want to hear a story? This week, Angelique had to go to the doctor to get a needle biopsy because they thought she had cancer in her breast. And they'd previously done ultrasounds and said, yes, you have to go. So she scheduled it. And Lisa rode with her to Baton Rouge to go. And the, hall, and, and the church was praying. And we were praying. 
And we've been in 21 days of prayer for miracles to happen. You see, we're the kind of church that just believes God can do whatever the heck he wants to do. And we were praying for God to touch her body and to do something incredible. And so Lisa tells the story pretty incredible. Lisa says she's in the waiting room and she's waiting for Angelique and, and they, they, they take her to the back. And <clears throat> because it's been a little while since they did the ultrasound, they had to do another ultrasound. But she was scheduled to have the biopsy done that day because they thought there was something there. And so the doctor says, let me, let me do another ultrasound real quick just to make sure everything's good. They do the ultrasound, can't find anything to do a biopsy on, send her home without a biopsy. Lisa tells the story. She's sitting in the waiting room just like kind of anxious and prayerful and the church is praying and everybody's praying. And, and she said, Angelique just kind of walks out with this look on her face like, and Lisa didn't know how to take it. She was like, what? What? Is it good or bad? What? And she goes, they don't have to do the biopsy. There's nothing there. And then they both bust out into crying and praising God. Miracles happen. Miracles happen. Yeah, you need to give God a big hand clap for that. That's worth celebrating. And I know how some of our, our natural minds go, well, yeah, but they could have they just misread this. And they Listen to me. God did a miracle. God did a miracle. One of the truest indicators of God's abiding presence is the miraculous. There's many stories of God's miracles in this environment. <clears throat> How many of you need a miracle for your life? You ought to take Angelique's story and let it build a little miracle in you. Let it build a little faith in you for a miracle to happen. Amen? Because if Jesus is in the house, miracles can happen. You see, what they experienced was supernatural healing. Can you believe God to, to heal you? Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, was a doctor. We thank God for doctors, right? God will use doctors to heal us at times. That's okay. God still gets the glory. He created the doctor. So we get, get twisted up and all that. Oh, but the doctor did it. Yeah. God anointed the sucker to do it. <laughs> then they, they, they experienced supernatural protection. All throughout the Bible, God protected his people from Pharaoh. God's protecting us today. They experienced supernatural provision. Remember when God split the Red Sea? You remember when he fed them from heaven? He dropped manna from heaven? You remember when he pulled water out of rocks? Come on, do you believe God can do whatever he wants from wherever he wants? Even if you can't understand it, and even if you can't reason it, God can do things that you don't have no clue he can do. And he'll bring it from places you have no clue he can bring it. They experienced supernatural order. They experienced supernatural miracles. And here's a big one. They experienced, number three, supernatural encounters. Verse 17 to 20. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They were jealous because God was moving in other people's lives and not their own. <laughs> they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought him out. And he told him, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. I think, man, this is crazy. They experienced God encounters. They were thrown in jail. God sends an angel to bust the jail open and not just set them free for their own freedom's sake. He set them free and said, now go set some other people free. 
Because you see, there's something that God does. When he sets us free, it's for us, but it doesn't stop there. It's for us to go and set others free. He pulled them out of jail because he wanted them to go and do something else. Their freedom had a purpose. Their freedom had a purpose. Your freedom has a purpose. When you were brought from spiritual death into spiritual life, the purpose was to go bring others from spiritual death into spiritual life by telling them about Jesus. Praise God we get to get set free, and some people love to get set free and just bask in that for the rest of your life. I'm so free. Great. What are you free for? To go set others free. What did the angel say? Go to the temple and give this message of life. He's like, boys, I'm busting you out of jail to keep on preaching. I've healed you to keep on going. I'm restoring your marriage so that's no longer a distraction in your life. Keep going. Keep going. It has a purpose. Come on, somebody's got to hear this this morning. Your freedom has a purpose. It has a calling. It has a mission. There's people attached to your freedom. There's lives attached to your freedom. It's not just for you. It's one thing to feel being set free and how incredible that is. But let me tell you something. It's a whole nother level when God uses you to set somebody else free. When you get to be a part of it. That's, that's where the Bible says we get to share in his glory. Like we get to be there when he does the thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like we get like, we get like a little bit of, of props because we were there when the thing happened. You know what I'm saying? It's like we... We get to like lean on God's goodness, his glory a little bit. Come on, somebody. It's like, yeah, I was there. I was there. The real test comes then, do you take the glory? Or do you leave God with the glory? Well, if you want more of his glory, you're going to have to give him the glory. (laughs) Right? Your freedom has a purpose. It has a people attached to it. By the way, this is the first time that Peter set out a, set free from prison, and it happens again in Acts chapter 12. I'm thinking, man, Peter's got like, he's like, arrest me, I don't care. I mean, that's why, that's why his second arrest was so much, probably so much easier than his first one. He's like, well, if God freed me the first time, he'll do it again. You see how faith is built? Come on, when God healed your pinky toe, you started believing him to heal your heart. Right? It builds. I promise you, Angelique's different. Because you can't walk up into the hospital thinking that you got cancer living inside of you and have the doctor's x-ray or ultrasound it and say there's nothing there and walk out the same and do business as usual because you've just had an encounter with God. You see, that's what a lot of us are missing is an encounter with God because that's what makes you hungry. That's what keeps you coming back for more. That's what keeps you in the game is when you have an encounter with God. I'm talking about like a moment where God shows up and you get to be there and you get to witness it and you get to feel it and you just go, man, this is good. This is God. Every Christian's life should be marked by encounters with God. Every Christian. 
Your life should be marked by encounters with God in the Old Testament. Every time God showed up and delivered his people, he would tell the leader, go and stack up this big old pile of rocks. They may would call it an altar at times. And he says, this is a rock of remembering. Or, or remembering. This is a rock of memory. Every time they pass by this rock, when your grandkids come by, and they ask, well, what's that pile of rocks for? Well, that's when God delivered us. That's what God encounters are. Can you tell the story of your God encounters? I'll never forget the first time I encountered God's presence was I was, I was a young kid, probably eight, nine years old. And we had this, we lived in a, a double wide trailer and we had a porch attached to it. And my grandmother, we, we, I was raised Southern Baptist. We didn't sing anything but hymns. And my grandmother, I love hymns. My grandmother was, she was, she was a godly woman. She prayed every day, every night. Uh, she had her slip-ups, <laughs> but she was a godly woman. And my grandmother, every afternoon, would go sit on the swing on that back porch, and she would swing and, and sing. <laughs> sing and swing. And it didn't matter what I was going through between the age of 9, 10, whatever it was. If my cousins had just said something mean to me, it didn't matter. I knew one thing. If I would go sit with Grandma on the swing and put my head in her lap I would experience the peace of God and at that age I learned the difference between the peace of God and the peace the world offers you see the peace the world offers is just the freedom from trouble the peace of God is even though you're in the midst of trouble there's still peace and I experienced the peace of God just sitting there listening to my grandmother sing. Man, I wish I could go back to that swing. And I wish my grandmother was still swinging some days. Because I'd sure love to go put my head on her lap and experience that peace like that again. Come on, somebody. That was one of my first experiences with God. Later on, fast forward into my late 20s, I was offered a church. <clears throat> I was given a church in, in Baldwin, Louisiana. The pastor said, here, you want the church, you can take it. I was like, wow. I said, can I, can I have the keys and go pray? He said, sure. I got the keys to the church. I went to the church. Nobody there. Opened the door, went to the altar, got on the altar, and I said, Lord, you want me to take this church? I was confused. I didn't know if I was supposed to do it or not. I was like, Lord, do you want me to take this church? It was the first time I heard God's voice. He said, no. He didn't, he didn't like dialogue. He didn't like explain nothing. He was like, no. And I was like, that's it? No. Okay. I got up, took the keys back to the, the man who was a very important person in my life, a great influence. And I said, I feel like God's telling me no. Because God told me no and I listened, I'm, I'm able to be here today with you today. It's a God encounter. It's a moment where I experienced God. There's many other times. Where I had moments where I just experienced God. My, my life is marked by them. They're like pillars in my life or chapters in the story of my life. It's like when God moved and I was able to be there and be a part of it. And I had an encounter with him. When I got filled with the Holy Spirit, it was an encounter. I can still remember the details. I can remember what it sounded like. I can remember what was going on around me. And even today, there's encounters that mark my life. I've learned how to write them down now. 
see, the cool thing about Peter and Paul and those guys is they just didn't know God from the Bible. They just didn't know God from the scriptures. They didn't know him intellectually. They knew him experientially. There's a big difference between knowing God here and knowing God here. 1 John 5 talks about that. It says that Jesus gives us the right to understand, or he gives us understanding so that we can know God. That word know in the Greek literally means to have experiential knowledge of God, the kind that only comes when you go through something with him. Right? That's the kind of encounters I'm talking about. That's what a lot of us are missing today, is God encounters, God moments. But there comes a time for every one of us where we have to, we have to set the room up a little bit. We got to make some room for God to show up. We got to slow our lives down enough for God to catch up. Come on. We got to put your phone down. Go lock it in another room on silent. Get a babysitter. Get the kids away. We got to create space for an encounter. You see, I want my kids to leave my house with God moments and God encounters. The thing this generation needs more than anything is they need to experience the radical presence of God. They don't need to be told anything. They surely don't need to be told what else they're wrong at or what else they're doing wrong. They need to be told, hey, man, you can have an encounter with a living God that will forever change your life. My kids went to youth camp this summer, and Ethan will never forget this. Ethan had an encounter with God. He had been having hip problems, wrestling with a cow one day. His hip hurt, and it had been bothering him pretty bad. And the guy that was preaching said, man, somebody in here has got hip problems, and, and if you'll stand up, I'll pray for you. And he stood up, and, and you can turn around and look at him. He's my witness. And, and he stood up, and God healed his hip. I don't ever have to tell him again that God can do a miracle because he's had his own experience with it. Anna at the same encounter where God said, girl, you need to surrender. And she got on her knees before God and she just cried and opened her heart out to God. And when she got up, she looked around and everybody else around her was doing the same thing. Virginia filled with God's spirit at camp. You know why I want my kids in church? You know why I'm in church a lot of times? It's because I want my kids to be here. I want my kids to experience God's presence. I want them to hear Angelique's stories. I want them to hear your stories. And I want them to, to live with God encounters. Amen? When they turn 18, I don't want them to be ignorant that God moves and that God has encounters with us. <clears throat> the activated church is where God makes his home. And he will mark you and he will change your life. We've got to make space for him. So how do we do that? Let me give you three quick things and I'm done. How do we create a home for God? Number one, you need to be a person of prayer. A person of prayer. Prayer has always moved the heart of God. Prayer is the priority of this church. We get here early on Sunday mornings as a dream team and we pray. We pray for every one of you that's walking in here this morning. That we, that Lord, you know what they're walking in here with. You know what they've gone through this week. We pray that you would anoint us and you would anoint this place so that God, when these people walk in, they can experience you. Because that's what they need. 
Be a person of prayer. Number two, set your life in order. You don't need to be one way at church and another way at home. You need to be a stand-up person with character and integrity. You got to watch what you're watching. Be careful what you're listening to. Here's, here's, here's a simple little tip. If you'll put your house in order, God won't have to. And trust me, it's better if you put your house in order than if God has to come clean up. Amen? And then number three, expect, expect the miraculous. Come on, do you expect God to do a miracle? If you're not expecting it, you're surely not ever going to see it. Are you expecting God to do a miracle? I believe Angelique went into that doctor's office that morning, this past Tuesday, with an expectation inside of her. In fact, I know she did because that's one of the things I prayed for her, is that, God, you would put an expectation in her. That she would expect you to do something supernatural. Expect the miraculous. Expect it. Expect the impossible to happen. Come on, we serve God, the God of all creation, who can do anything. And he says, you have access to me. You can ask and I'll listen. What do you believe in God to restore? What do you believe in God to turn around? What do you believe in God to heal? What do you believe in God to set you free from? It ought to be written down somewhere. So that way when he does it, you can come right on the side of it and put a date on it and put like a boom exclamation mark. God did it. I was praying, praying for a raise at the beginning of the year. I said, Lord, I need some more money. I need some more money. I started praying, Lord, I need some more money. I need a raise. When the raise came, I went to my journal, put the date, God gave a raise, boom. I like to make a little noise. I just, you know, I think it's exciting when you put a little boom next to whatever God does, right? Come on, it's like, boom, you did it. It's kind of like sticking it in the, in the devil's face. Boom. Sorry, sucker. So when God's in the house, when God's presence is with us, there's supernatural order, there's supernatural miracles, and there's supernatural encounters. Now let me, let me set some of you free this morning because some of you are feeling really bad because you've never had one of those encounters before. That's okay. It's okay if you've never had one of those encounters. Now you can believe God for one. Amen? Don't let the devil beat you down. You can believe God for one now because you know that they happen. Amen? Maybe somebody just never told you. You never realized that that could happen. Hey, that's good. Now you can expect it to happen. Right? So leave here excited, not depressed. Nothing ever happens in my life. Don't go out like that. Go out like, Lord, I'm believing you for something incredible to happen this week. I want to have a moment with you, God.